Galatians chapter 2. And as you are turning there, if you have a paper bulletin, some of you guys know how to stuff your Bibles, you've got the bulletins in there and other paraphernalia. Can you mark, or if you have a little uh, string uh, deal there thingy, um, can you mark Acts chapter 15? Because we're going to flip over there in just a minute to catch the context of where we're going to be this morning. I think it's, it's super crucial to understand what's going on so we can understand this passage. So we'll be in Galatians 2 to start, and then we're going to flip over to Acts chapter 15. And we're going to be talking about doctrine this morning. Some of you already tuned me out. You hear the word doctrine? See, see you later, dude. A collective yawn. Doctrine, really? We got to look at doctrine today? Listen, doctrine is crucial, you guys. The fundamentals of the faith, knowing what the Bible says. Listen, not only knowing the Word of God, but knowing the God of the Word. This is like super crucial, especially in light of the times we live in. Um, and by the way, it is a lifelong process of learning the Word and, and growing in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, knowing what salvation is and what salvation isn't. Because that's kind of the context of where we are in our study. Is The Apostle Paul is trying to help these people, um, these people that he invested in, they got saved under his ministry, to help them understand what salvation is and what salvation isn't. And it's crucial for us to understand that as well. We, listen, we must be rooted in the Word of God. And the problem we have so often is that, not so often, the problem that, that I see is that we're just we're so inclined towards entertainment. We're looking to be entertained. Whether it's outside of church and it's, it's crept into the church. Pastor, if you don't entertain me for 30 minutes, I'm out of here. I'll go find somewhere else where I'll be entertained. Are you with me? You guys know the word amusement? Anybody know the word amusement? It's an interesting word. The word muse means to think. And when you have the prefix A in front of it, it means not to think. (laughs) Like, you know, when you go on a roller coaster, an amusement park, you are what? Screaming and yelling, but you're not thinking, are you? But some people come into church just to be entertained. And Paul said to Timothy, in the last days, people would not endure sound doctrine. They would do what? They would heap up teachers to amuse them. Let me entertain you. Let me make you smile. Let me tickle your funny bone, tickle your scratch your itches. When, listen, it takes endurance. I mean, 45-minute Bible study. We dig into God's Word. We dig deep here into God's Word. Sundays, Sunday nights, Wednesdays, ladies' Bible study, men's Bible study. Why? Because we love you and care about you. And we're communicating our love to Jesus. Jesus said, if you love my sheep, what? Entertain them? If you love my sheep, what? Feed them. Tend my lambs. Care for them. And this is the way we are fed. This is the way we are nourished spiritually. It's not sermonettes with a little bit of Bible dust sprinkled in. 
It is learning the word of God that we might know. The Lord said if we want to make our boast, we make our boast in this, that we know and understand him. There's no shortcuts. No matter how many devos you get sent to your inbox, how many spiritual pep talks you get during the week, nothing takes the place of coming to the source of life, coming to Jesus and getting into his word and digging deep and allowing his word to sink into our hearts that it might transform and change us and work. The Bible, Paul said to the Thessalonians, the word of God works effectively in those who believe. And so that's why we get into the word. That's why we study doctrine. And so, listen, if we're rooted in the word of God, we'll be able to deal with trials, with storms. Storms will hit our lives. If we are rooted and grounded in the word of God, we will be able to deal with temptation. You guys ever get tempted? We get tempted, don't we? We'll be able to deal with persecution when it comes. We'll be able to, we'll be able to recognize false teaching and say, that's bogus, man. I don't want that. That's going to poison me. That's dangerous. That's leaven that will harm me and my walk with Jesus Christ. That's something that's going to get in between me and Jesus. And so as we begin to understand the word and grow in that, again, it's a lifelong process. And Paul loves these people, and he's helping them get back on track. They've drifted off track. And the reason is they allowed some people to come into the church to teach them a different gospel. And what they were saying was, it's great that you made Jesus your Lord and Savior, but now you also must get circumcised. You must, you must put yourself under the law of Moses. You need to keep these rules. In other words, you need to keep these traditions. You need to keep these special uh, uh, regulations as well. That's not good news, you guys. The good news is Jesus did the work fully and completely on our behalf. He said, it is finished. Your sin debt, my sin debt is paid in full. And when we place our trust in Jesus Christ, not only are your sins forgiven, forgotten, gone forever, the very righteousness of God is given to you and to me. That is good news. We can't perfect upon it. We can't take away from the work that he has done. And those that, if you are adding and subtracting um, to that, it's not good news anymore. It's now grace plus grunt. It's now about your efforts and how good you are and what you can do. And so it's what God did, not what we do. Are you with me this morning? Christianity is a relationship with the true and the living God. Religion says, here's the rules, do it, follow it, keep it. But the Lord says, it's done. Let me come into your heart and help you walk with me. Let me change you from the inner core of your being. That's the new covenant. Don't have, listen, this morning, don't have covenant confusion. That's what was going on in the churches of Galatia. And it happened because some, we're going to see in a little while here, some, some weasels got in and worms and began to wipe out their faith. And so let's check it out. Chapter 2, Paul explains. Again, Paul is, in these first two chapters, he's super autobiographical. He's explaining his relationship with the gospel of grace, the gospel of Jesus Christ. What happened not only in his own life, but also what happened, he reminds the church what happened in their lives. When he came and preached, they simply received the good news and they got born again. Right? Isn't that how we enter into the family of God? Right? Parents, your kids, do they need to earn their way into the family? They, do they? Do they have to pay their way to stay in their work in that family? Alana, how old are you now? Nine? It's time to start paying up, girl. 
They don't say that. She's in. Our kids are in. Why? Because they're born into the family. So are you. It takes all the pressure off, you guys. You're a blood-bought child of God. Now we can just relax, correct, and rest in that finished work and walk with the Lord. And so let's check it out. Chapter 2, God's Word says, verse 1, Then after 14 years, I went up again, where'd you go, Paul, to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. And I went up by revelation and communicated to them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. But privately, to those who were of reputation, why? Lest by any means I might run or had run in vain, yet not even Titus, who was with me being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And this occurred, why? Because of false brethren secretly brought in, who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour. Why? That the truth of the gospel might continue with you. Thank you, Paul, for standing up for the truth. And so let me draw your attention back to verse 1. He says, after, how many years does it say? After 14 years. So 14 years later, and we don't know if that's from when he, when he came to know Jesus, Acts chapter 9, if it's been 14 years, or it was 14 years, including the time in Arabia when Paul was alone. He, was, he got alone with God and spent time with God. It's unclear where that 14 years uh, begins, but we do know during that time period, He went to Jerusalem. Check this out. He went at least two times to Jerusalem. Five times, I think it's mentioned, he went to Jerusalem in the book of Acts. Why is that important? Kind of just to take a step back and observe. Why is that important, do you guys think? Because remember, for the Jewish males, they were required to go to Jerusalem how many times a year? Three times a year for those feasts. It was mandatory. They had to go under the law. And so the Apostle Paul, remember, he was a Jew of Jews, wasn't he? Pharisee of Pharisees. He only went two times in 14 years. So he's demonstrating, I didn't, I'm not under the law any longer. I've been set free. And notice it says when he went up, who did he take with him? Bar- Barnabas is awesome, isn't he? Barney, you guys like Barney? Barnabas, um, what, what does his name mean? Son of encouragement or consolation. He's Mr. Encouragement. You guys remember how he was such a key figure in Paul's life? Remember when Paul got saved? And he, when he first went to Jerusalem, what happened? He knocked on the door of Calvary Chapel, Jerusalem. You guys remember that? Hey, it's me. It's Paul. I used to be Saul, but I'm saved now. No way, Jose, you ain't getting in here. Seriously, go to Second Baptist, Jerusalem. Go. I'm just, that's a joke, by the way. Somebody's like, did they really have those churches? No, 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 no. And so what did Barnabas do? He came alongside Paul, because wouldn't that be a discouragement? No one wants you in their church? Wouldn't that be a discouragement? 
can't come to this church, can't go to that church, nobody wants me. Listen, by the way, you're welcome here. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done. Because we trust that by the Spirit of God, through His Word, He will change your life radically. He'll untangle the junk, makes you a new creation. His work is glorious by His grace, by His Spirit. And so Barnabas came alongside him and vouched for Paul. Hey, he's saved. He's changed. Check out his ministry. Listen, we all need Barnabases in our lives. Or Barnabitas. In that's the female. I don't know what the female version, except in Spanish. That's what I found out that's what it is. We need, Bar we need those people that come alongside of us to encourage us. Don't we? Has anybody ever had someone come alongside them? I have. Many times. That encourage you. And remember, it was, it was Barnabas that went and got Paul from Tarsus. The church in Antioch of, of Syria was blooming and blossoming. And, and, and Barnabas is like, man, I know a guy that would fit in so well in this church to minister. And so he travels and gets Paul and brings him to the church. And together they did ministry. And then from the church of Antioch, which is an awesome church to study, what happened from the first missionary journey went? You guys remember? It was Paul and Barnabas and John Mark. They took off, and that's how these churches in Galatia that we're reading about here, that this letter is going to, that's how they came about. It was from that first missionary journey, and so Barnabas was a key figure in Paul's life. Listen, there's no Paul without a Barnabas. Are you with me? There's no Paul without a Barnabas. That's why it's so crucial. Maybe you're, maybe you're not going to be a Paul or a Peter, but you can be a Barnabas. To come alongside someone to encourage them, to, to help them become all they can be for Jesus. Are you with me? Who else went with them on this trip? Titus. Who's Titus? We know he was Greek or he was uh, a Gentile. He was not Jewish, right? I think he, by bringing him up to Jerusalem, he was exhibit A of the gospel of grace for the Gentiles, of someone that was not circumcised who got saved, born again, not under the law. He's been set free by Jesus Christ. And so he brought him along also. By the way, eight times in 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul mentions Titus. Eight times. And it's always in a good light too, by the way. They serve together. Paul even viewed Titus as a son in the faith when he writes that letter to Titus. And so the context, and this is why I said Mark, Acts 15 in your Bible. Let's flip over there real quick so we understand the flow of what's going on. Flip over with me real quick. Acts chapter 15. If you're looking for it, turn to the left. A few books. Acts 15. By the way, this is, the timing is after that first missionary journey that Paul went on with Barnabas. Churches in Galatia are planted. Now they're at the church in Antioch, and notice what happens with me. Are you guys with me still? It says, and certain men came down from Judea, that means they came from southern Israel, and it says, and taught the brethren... Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Is that true or false? false. That is false. Thank you. That was like 100% of the room there. That's false. 
these guys came in and they were given an opportunity to teach, to share with the congregation. What do you do? Listen, if someone comes into this pulpit and teaches something like that, there's a pile of rocks out back. Um, No, can't do that. Just take them out there and talk to them. (laughs) This was under the Old Testament law. We don't do this anymore, but we make except now. So what do you do? Look at what happens next. Look what it says. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them. You read no small dissension. That means they had a big beef with them. And they're in their face. They determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. We need to take it to headquarters in Jerusalem and get some clarification. Next verse, they're traveling. Look what it says. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria heading southbound. And what were they doing? Describing the conversion of the Gentiles and they caused great joy to all the brethren. Did you catch that? So they've left Antioch. They're traveling southbound to Jerusalem. And all along the way, they're stopping at churches and sharing the testimony of Gentiles getting saved simply by hearing the gospel, not circumcision, not the law. And what was the result? They, people were stoked, exceeding joy. And by the way, that's what the gospel of grace produces is exceeding joy, doesn't it? I mean, isn't it a joy to gather together this morning, the freedom we have in Jesus Christ? Well, look what happens next. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all things that God had done with them. So they share their testimony with them. But look what happens. Check it out. What happens next? You guys looking at the board or looking at your Bibles? But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed, isn't that interesting? Remember the Pharisees, you guys? Remember they were the critical, sin-sniffing, fault-finding religious police, right? Remember them from the Gospels? Some of them believed. They became believers, apparently. And they rose up. Look what they said. Saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Is that true or false? False. That's false. That's right. And so look look what happened next. Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. So they have a little powwow. And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, so Peter stands up, men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles... By the way, Gentiles are non-Jews. The Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. That's in Acts chapter 10. Remember when Peter went to the house of Cornelius? That's the context of that. Peter went there. These Gentiles got saved. and All they did was hear the gospel and they believed. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them. How? By giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us and made no distinction between us and them. No walls, right, in Christ. It's gone. Purifying their hearts. How? By faith. Now, therefore, why do you test God? By putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, 
which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. Did you catch that? We couldn't bear that burden. All the rules, all the regulations, that's, a, that's bondage. We've been set free. In fact, look at the next verse as we finish up. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. It's so simple. There's one gospel. That's the conclusion they came to. Are you with me? Yes? One gospel, correct? And so now let's come back to Galatians 2. Let's get some further insight on this meeting, this business trip. It says in verse 2, Paul says, And I went up by revelation. What does revelation mean? Unveiling, uncovering. Just look at the, the root of that word, revel. It means to reveal. So God revealed to Paul, you need to go up to Jerusalem to deal with this issue. Has God ever revealed anything to you? I hope so. I, I asked Alana the other day, we were reading the, these verses together, and I was asking her questions. Hey, has God ever revealed anything to you, Alana? She's like, yeah, you know, Dad, one time when I was mean to Sissy, when I was mean to Mackenzie and Sloan, the Lord showed me I need to go say sorry. I said, well, did you do it? She goes, yeah, finally I did. <laughs> Listen, if the Lord shows you, do it. Even if it's finally. <laughs> right? And so God showed Paul, you need to go up to handle this issue. And so when he went, notice what he did. I shared with the leadership there at the church in Jerusalem what? The gospel, the good news, which I've been proclaiming, which I've been sharing with the Gentiles. But privately, notice this, Paul did this in a private setting, apart from the multitudes, with who? With those recognized leaders. We know we're going to read about them later, James and Peter and John and so forth. And then why did he do it this way? Why does he do what he does here? It says, lest by any means I might run or had run in what? What's in vain mean? means worthless. Did you catch that, what he's saying here? This is like so heavy. Paul did this because he did not want to be doing ministry, running his race, being engaged in what God called him to do for nothing at all. That would all be worthless in the end. I think there's simple application. Paul says, I want to make sure, I want to double check that what I am doing is not worthless. I don't want my efforts to be for nothing, lacking eternal value. I hope that's the heart of everyone here this morning. So the Lord shows you to do something, right? He reveals something to you. Step out in faith to do it, trusting in the power of the Holy Spirit to help you to do it. Are you with me? He'll help you to do it. And then as you're serving the Lord, as you're walking with the Lord, it's good to step back once in a while and take inventory. Like David said, search me, God. Try me. Search my heart. Because I want to make sure that whatever I am doing 
in the name of the Lord that it's motivated by love for my Savior and love for others. Why? Because 1 Corinthians 13 tells us if it's not, it will be in vain. When you stand before the Lord, all those things that we do, if we're doing it for a selfish reason or selfish motivation or for the applause of man, what's going to happen? It's going to burn up in a pinch of ash. Rather than storing up our treasures in heaven that will last. Jesus said store up your treasures, didn't he? In heaven. And so, and, and listen, not only personally, we do it with the church here too. We want to make sure that we have a successful church. Not according to the world's values or standards. But what does Jesus say is a successful church? And all we have to do is run our church through the grid of Revelation 2 and 3, where Jesus hands out report cards to seven different churches. And we see how we're doing, not only individually also, but we also see how we're doing corporately as a church. To take inventory, to see if, if we're do, what we're doing is pleasing to the Lord. And it's honoring to Him. We want the amen of the Holy Spirit, don't we? And the, and the commendation from our, Lord, don't we, from our Lord and Savior. Don't you want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant? When you step through the veil into eternity. That's where Paul's heart is. He's like, I don't want to run in vain. I don't want to do what I'm doing in vain. So I went up there. Man, we double check to see, make sure we're doing the right thing. And then notice in verse 3, Titus was with Paul. Non-Jew, he was Greek. He was not forced to take part in being circumcised. And I, no doubt there were people that were telling him to. Hey, you need to, dude. You're not a Christian unless you get circumcised. You need to do that. You need to, you need to get clipped, bro. And listen, the same thing today happens. You're not a Christian. If you don't speak in tongues, you're not a Christian. If you don't have a church membership, you're not a Christian. That's nonsense. If you don't send your kids to Christian school, they're, you're not, they're not Christians. You're not Christian. There's a bunch of nonsense out there. The only way you're a Christian is by trusting in Jesus Christ. And so Paul, Barnabas, and Titus, they defied those who were doing the compelling. No way. We saw that back in Acts chapter 15, didn't we? And so the church leaders agreed with Paul. It was right that he was sharing the gospel of grace with the Gentiles, the apostles in Jerusalem were preaching the same message. In other words, they were all on the same page. One way we know that also is because none of them said, Titus needs to be circumcised right here and right now. But notice what happened. Notice why this all came about. We're told in verse 4 why Paul needed to have this meeting because of false brethren, those that were professing to be Christians, but they were fakes, they were phonies, they were bogus. They're not really brothers at all. They thought they were, but they were not. By the way, this is a serious issue this morning. Serious. Is, is a person saved by Jesus alone or Jesus plus something else? It's a serious issue. It's Jesus alone. If you're preaching any other gospel, you're a false brethren. You're bo you're bo listen, you're bogus and you need to repent. If you're preaching any other gospel. And notice how they came in. It's, it's totally, it's sneaky. Look, it's secretly, it means to be smuggled in. So kind of with a veneer of truth. They looked the part, it was outward, but they came in, notice what it says, by stealth. What does stealth mean? Under the radar, right? They flew in under the radar. In other words, they didn't come in saying, you know what, we're a bunch of worms and 
Were the Judaizers here? Take note. They didn't announce anything. We're here to bring you into bondage. They didn't do that. They snuck in. They're sneaky. Why? Look what it says. To spy out our liberty. That word spy out means to check out with the desire to do damage to. To check out with the desire to do damage to. To do damage to what? Our freedom, our liberty. You know what that means? They got an agenda. To destroy, listen, to destroy the freedom the gospel provides. And our freedom is in who? In Christ Jesus. It's not found in laws. It's not found in keeping rules. It's found in Jesus Christ. We are free because of Jesus and what he did for us. If the Son sets you free, you are free free indeed. You shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. Isn't freedom nice? It's night, and so these guys weasel their way in, and they're observing, scrutinizing, looking to do in the believers, to follow the law, to follow rules. Rules don't make you righteous. Jesus does. They were watching to see if we'd follow the rules, Paul says. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Remember the Pharisees? We just talked about them a minute ago. Some of them believed. Remember, remember what they did in the Gospels? They would follow Jesus around, didn't they? Sneaky too, correct? I'm seeing some heads. Some are. Remember when Jesus was walking through the grain fields with his disciples on the Sabbath? Right? They're just cruising, and the dudes were hungry, weren't they? They're on a little hike. And what did they do? They picked the grain, rub it in their hand. Make, it makes like a little gummy substance. You start chewing on it, and it's non-GMO, right? It's all natural, organic, yeah. Vegan. And all of a sudden, who pops up out of the crops? What are the Pharisees doing in the grain field? Do they have like, can- like grain field camo, you know, like little... I mean, think about that. What are they doing out there? What are you doing? They're pointing their finger. They're breaking the law. And, and what it was was their interpretations of the law, their little rules, by them rubbing the grain in their hands. You know what that was considered on the Sabbath? Work on the Sabbath. You're breaking the law. Isn't that pathetic? That's why they got all tweaked, all torqued off when Jesus healed on the Sabbath. Because that was considered work. And the Lord's like, listen, you'll go rescue your cow or your donkey out of a hole, but here's this man that is restored his entire health. He's been set free. And you're, criti- you're being critical of that? And you can see how far their hearts were from God. And that's what happens. Paul knows that. Why? Because Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He knows where legalism will take a life. He knows where legalism will take a church where it had taken the churches in Galatia. So he's concerned. And notice what it says there with me. It says that they might bring us into bondage. Jesus is into freedom, you guys. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. 
for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Do you guys understand the context of that? It's not just sin that will make us weary and burdened, but Jesus was saying that to these, these, these precious Jewish people that were having these rules imposed upon them. They were burdened trying to keep every single little rule and every single regulation. And the Lord's like, no, just come to me. There's freedom. My yoke is easy. My burden's light. Just walk with me. Follow me. Spend time with me. Let me change you from the inner core of your being out. Let me fix you. Let me work in your life, not bring you into bondage. And so they attempted to tie, Paul says they attempted. Notice Paul includes himself too. They might bring us into bondage. Isn't that interesting? Paul includes himself. The motive of these false brethren was to enslave Paul and the rest of the true brethren. And when you are enslaved in bondage, you're not free, are you? You're not free. And so what did Paul do? Look at verse 5 with me. He says, we did not obey or submit to these bogus brethren, not even for 60 minutes. We did not give them, in other words, I think it's a euphemism, we didn't give them the time of day. Is that still a saying? Do people still say that today? Shut the door on them. Why? Look what it says. That is a reason word. That the truth of the gospel, the reality of the good news, might continue with you. That it would remain with you fully and completely. Do you notice that? A couple things. Number one, Paul was concerned with the truth of the gospel. The truth is that salvation cannot be earned. It cannot be earned by being circumcised and keeping the Mosaic law. It cannot, be, it cannot be earned by keeping laws and rules and regulations. Jesus said, come unto me. He didn't say, come unto me and Moses. He said simply, come unto me. It's a relationship. And so Paul is dug in. He is dug in here, and he's concerned about the truth of the gospel. He drew a line in the sand, and he says, we're not going to stand for that nonsense. Can I ask you a question this morning and challenge you? Are you willing to stand for the truth? Are you willing to stand for the truth? In the face of adversity, difficulty, trials. How about peer pressure? How about kiddos that are here? In school, will you stand for the truth? In the face of opposition, lots of influencers out there. Isn't that the big buzzword these days? Influencers. Listen, if there's people that are modifying the gospel, making alterations to the gospel, to the truth, and they do, don't they? To make it appealing and relevant, to make it hip and cool. I'm going to upgrade the message. Someone's claiming to represent God and they monkey with the gospel, mess with it, present a different gospel, they're bogus. And like Paul, it's like, I got to address this. If you're persecuted, opposed, the Bible says all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. At some point, if we're living godly lives, it's going to happen. And there's times where the line is drawn in the sand. It's like, no way, man. I'm not going to go down that trail. That's bogus what you're sharing with me. Even if your friends don't think you're cool anymore. Listen, you're always cool with Jesus. 
okay? And he's always relevant, and he's the best influencer. He's the one our lives should be under the influence of, not the influencers that got tons of hits or tons of likes or tons of whatever. The only likes you need are thumbs up from Jesus. Amen. And it's not, he's not hard to please. He says, simply trust me and walk with me. Notice interesting also, might continue two words with you. Paul is other-centered. He did this not just to benefit himself, but others and us today as well. Listen, men enslave men. Jesus sets men's lives free. I say men, I'm talking about all of us. Jesus sets men free. Men try to bring men into bondage, into slavery. And it can be sly and sneaky and subtle and crafty, just like the way the devil works as well. And like the Judaizers, they introduce a little bit of leaven that permeates and spreads, like tentacles, reaches out. Now you're enslaved to keeping the rules. And it's, it, it'll wear you out. The truth of the gospel is that righteousness is already a done deal because of what Jesus has done for us. And God is simply asking us to trust in Jesus Christ. And the result is he sets us free. Jesus paid for our freedom on the cross. Okay, And he rose again to provide us with a righteousness we could never earn, maintain, or, or purchase, or anything else. And so don't let anyone rip you off. And Paul didn't let them. He didn't let them. Look at verse 6. He goes on. We'll finish up with 6 through 10. We got time? No one set the clock today. Okay, I got an hour. Is that what it says? Cool. If you're peeking at the clock, don't look, don't look. Repent if you're looking. We got time. Sweet. But from those who seemed to be something, and he's talking about the leadership, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to who? To no man. For those who seemed to be something added nothing to me, but... What's the contrast? On the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me, who's the uncircumcised? Gentiles. As the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter, who was the circumcised? To the Jews. For he, speaking of God, who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, what did they do? They gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They desired only that we should remember the poor the very thing which I also was eager to do. And so let's finish this up this morning. Let's kind of just wrap it up here. Look at verse 6 with me. Paul's like, those guys who seem to be the heavy hitters, the big shots. And we're talking about who? We're talking about James, who Cephas, Peter, and John. And by the way, Paul respected them. 
That's why he came down there to get clarification concerning the gospel he was sharing. He respected them. God used these men mightily, correct? Did God use these dudes mightily? He sure did. But what Paul is saying, and I hope we catch this this morning, he's saying, I'm not going to treat them any differently. I respect them. God's used their lives mightily. I'm not going to put them up on some pedestal. Because why? In God's kingdom, there is no hierarchy. You guys with me this morning still? There is level ground at the foot of the cross. There's no, listen, there's no like a corporate structure in the church. Like the senior pastor, he's not the CEO. And then the assistant pastors, they're kind of like the board. And, you know, then the deacons come. and They're the worker bees. And then everyone else is underneath them. No, 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 no. We are all together, you guys, in this. Are you guys with me still? This is like super crucial. There's no climbing the ladder in Christianity. Some people think that that's the way it is. Man, I'm working in children's ministry. I'm going to work my way up. I'm going to get to the door, and I'm going to get over here, and then someday I'm going to be a senior pastor. Listen, it's a calling on your life. Whatever God's called you to do, that's what he's called you to do. It's, special, it's a special calling for you, and he'll give you what you need. That's what, that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying the same God who worked effectively in Peter has worked effectively in me. And God is no respecter of persons, or what does it say? He shows no favor, he shows favoritism to no man. That means we're all in the same, same boat. We all have a calling from God, and that, that calling is, is a holy calling. It's a sacred calling. Maybe your calling is just to be a mom. And not just be a mom. That is an amazing calling where you get to be the influencer for Jesus with those kids to... to like Timothy, grandma and mom poured in, right? Dad, deadbeat dad. Mom and grandma didn't shut it down. They poured in. That, they recognized that's our calling. We're going to pour into this little dude. And God used Timothy mightily, didn't he? But God wants to use every one of us mightily. Every one of us. That's what the, the point that Paul is making here. And, and he's saying also those seemed to be something. They added nothing to me. They didn't impart anything to me. They didn't fix me or correct me. We agreed upon one gospel. This is super crucial. Instead of imparting something to him, what did they do? Look at verse 7. They took note of the good news being committed to, entrusted to Paul, just like it was entrusted to them. By the way, the good news is entrusted to you too. Amen? Amen. We're called to preach the gospel. And that doesn't necessarily mean like, again, on a soapbox out on the street, but introducing people to Jesus, talking about the one you've fallen in love with. You love Jesus? I, I know what a lot of people love by looking at their Instagrams. Is that how you do it? Claw hand? <laughs> right? We talk, don't we talk about the things we love? Do you guys talk about the things you love? Think about your conversations. We talk about the things we love. Trip someone out, trip someone out tomorrow at work. I'm in love with a man. <laughs> His name is Jesus. And so Paul's emphasis was to the Gentiles. 
and Peter's emphasis was to the Jews, but they ministered across the board, didn't they? Right? Paul would go to the Jew first, then to the Gentile. Listen, God does different things with different people. It's beautiful. And then he works effectively in our lives. Verse 8, God wants to work through your life this morning. Do you know that this morning? God is equal opportunity. And that word works, it's used throughout the New Testament. Speaking of our spiritual gifts, God working through our spiritual gifts. Do you know what? God's given you spiritual gifts. You guys know that this morning. He's given you spiritual gifts. It is God who works in you. Same word, God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. You know what that means? God has given you everything you need to be successful in what he's called you to do. The question is, will you step out in faith to do it? You give the Lord the opportunity to use your life, to make your life count with the rest of the time that we have left. Don't make it in vain. Paul didn't want to run his race in vain. Man, I don't want, I don't want to get to the end of my race and say, man, I, I was doing the wrong, I was investing in the wrong kingdom. So many people investing in the wrong kingdom, investing in the kingdom of this world. And what's going to happen? Ultimately, we know, we know the end of the story. Why? Because we studied Revelation. We know our Bibles. We know the end of the story. We win, but not only do we win, it's all going to burn, baby, burn. And then we're going to stand there with who? With our, with our heavenly father, with our daddy, and we're going to watch him create something out of nothing, the new heavens and the new earth. Trip out on that, too. I mean, that's going to be, can you imagine watching that happen? The heavy hitters gave, gave them the right hand of fellowship. That means you do what God's called you to do, and we'll do what God has called us to do. God bless you. Give me a fist bump, whatever. Write me the right hand. Go for it. And I, know, I love what it says, that they perceived the grace given to us. They saw God's favor God's kindness. Listen, it is by God's grace that anything good comes from our lives or our ministries. All the mistakes are mine. Anything good is his work. God is not impressed with us. Are you offended by that? On our best day, our best efforts, it's all the work of his grace. We desperately need his grace. And the Lord says, my grace is sufficient for you. It's what you need. He gives layer upon layer of grace. We're nothing without his grace. They all agreed on the gospel. Anyone can come to Jesus, no strings attached. You come as you are, and you let Jesus lead your life all the way into heaven. And then what's the last thing? What's it say? Verse 10, we'll finish up. They desired... James, Cephas, and John, the leaders, only that we should remember the poor. And that's not like, oh yeah, I remember those poor people. That's cool. <laughs> I remember they're out there. And Paul's like, that's the very thing. I'm eager to do that. Why? Because that's God's heart, you guys. Isn't it? I mean, you do a study on, through your Bible on God's heart towards the poor. His heart's huge toward the poor. And not only that, he who was rich became poor for us that we might become rich in him. 
I mean, ultimately, look what the Lord Jesus did for us. Those who are hurting, what's your attitude towards them this morning? You know, and sometimes we can be critical of people, can't we? I can. I have been. Get a job, man. (laughs) But you know what the Lord showed me? Do you really know how that person got in that place? Wow. I have no clue. And what else? And it's like, you know, I know if I just give them five bucks, they're going to go get a case or a sixer or whatever. But what if, you, what if you go give them that five, ten bucks and say, you know what, this is a gift from Jesus. What church do you go to? It's not from a church, it's from Jesus. It's from Jesus. Cool. Then he goes and buys his sixer and he's tipping him back and he's thinking the whole time, man, that church didn't want nothing from me. It wasn't a church, it was Jesus who blessed me. I mean, you just never know the impact of sharing the love of Jesus with someone. In fact, Jesus said, when you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. Don't want to look past them. We want to remember them. And maybe it's just to pray with them. Find out their story. Hey, listen, because we're, so, we're always so consumed in our little world, aren't we? It's all about me, myself, and I. Just my orbit, right? Is that your orbit, what it looks like? And it's like, no, no, no. Listen, I want to have eyes to see and to help people connect the dots spiritually. It's not an accident I ran into this cat. He needs Jesus. And I got a couple bucks in my pocket. I can, I can take five on a latte, double latte, extra foam, or whatever, the nitro foam, and share the gospel of Jesus. It's by the grace of, there go I, but by the grace of God. Don't forget his amazing grace, gang. Amen? In Jesus' name. Lord, thank you so much for this awesome passage and the awesome work that you've done to rescue us, to make us your very own, to make us your kiddos, God. What an amazing thing to consider. Behold what manner of love that we might be called the children of God, and that is what we are. And we're so grateful to be part of your family where there are no walls, no distinctions, no favoritism, Lord. Thank you that you are equal opportunity, that we can all serve you, be engaged in your work. I pray, Lord, you'd stir up our hearts, that we would be faithful to whatever you've called us to do. We'd experience your strength and your wisdom, your blessing, your grace in in a fresh way as we take those steps of faith walking in those good works that you've already prepared, that we might bring you glory. This morning, as we are still in an attitude of prayer, as we finish our Bible study, perhaps you've been listening 